Welcome to the Fat Tail Investment Podcast for another big week uh, talking about the ASX and the big trends in the market. Now, I'm thrilled today to have on my colleague Ryan Clarkson Lewis. So, he's a small cap hound like me, he loves chasing down those exciting stories on the market from the, those small stocks that can explode in price over time and deliver gains in the hundreds of percent if you get it right. I've said it before, they're not without risk and they're certainly more volatile than the regular blue chip uh, stocks that uh, generally most people invest in. But when you get it right, you can, you can make uh, a really great gain. So I was keen to hear about what sectors he's looking at because we've had a big drawdown in the small cap sector, I'd say over the last, I think it's fair enough now to say over the last eight months at least, um, even going back into last year where to be honest, a lot of the companies were releasing good news, but a feature of how difficult the market has been um, since last year is that, that, that good news didn't re-rate the stocks up. In fact, most of them sold down anyway, and that makes it really difficult as a small cap investor because many of them don't make money. Uh, they rely on positive news, positive momentum, um, you know, investors being exciting about the future that they're building. So that hasn't happened this year. But from my perspective, you're seeing all these great little stocks um, heavily sold down, and at some point the growth cycle will kick in again. Uh, well, that's my view anyway. And uh, so it gives you a really intriguing entry point across a whole uh, bunch of sectors, whether it's resources or healthcare or tech. Um, you know, the world is our oyster in a sense at the moment. Now, Ryan's been doing this a long time. He now heads up a service called Exponential Stock Investor. So I was keen to get him on to hear about the trends that he's following for that service. So here he is, Ryan Clarkson Ruud, uh, Lewid, sorry, talking about Australian small cap stocks. Well, as I alluded to earlier, we are going to be talking about small caps today and a couple of the the themes to follow going forward, um, we've had a rough six to 12 months in the small cap sector. So uh, Ryan, from your perspective, can you tell us how it's been, just to set the background, how it's been navigating the small cap sector in the last, let's say, 12 months or so? Yeah, sure. I mean, as you've already alluded to, it's been a pretty tough time and I'm sure a lot of investors are sort of worried about that and getting on their nerves about when this will end, if it will end, how much money they might be losing. But I guess I'd urge them to take a step back and remember that these sort of cycles always come and go. And while we haven't had a bear market as this vicious for quite some time, in the end, there will be more opportunities to be found. And small caps are probably still a great place to be invested in if you're looking for good, strong, long-term returns. So in terms of navigating it, though, I mean, it's been interesting just sort of trying to watch how markets have responded to all these big events. So obviously, we've got the war in Ukraine, we've got the Fed raising interest rates, and a lot of people are sort of putting this emphasis on these big events that I feel like is pushing them into certain directions and certain narratives that maybe are a bit overblown to an extent. Because, I mean, 12 months ago, everyone was paying attention to Jerome Powell saying that you know, inflation is transitory. It's not going to be around forever. We're going to deal with it. Now, 12 months later, he's saying, oh, we're going to avoid a recession. We'll keep raising rates and we're not going to go into this huge economic death spiral sort of situation. I don't understand, I guess, why 
people are so confident in his ability now when he was so wrong 12 months ago. So from my perspective, I suppose it'll be interesting to see whether or not the Fed can balance this problematic situation that they've brought themselves into. And like a lot of our other editors have been saying recently, I think the Fed will have to start actually cutting rates again sooner rather than later, which will bring back the share market and bring back a lot of bullishness to it. So there's sort of interesting dichotomies at play and there's interesting narratives at play, but if you can find good stocks with a good theory and a lot of cash a lot of the time, then I think they're solid investments still. Well, absolutely. Uh, it's interesting if you can avoid some of the damage that's been going on, obviously everything's getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. So for me, it's getting uh, exciting because obviously you get a look at some really great projects that have been uh, butchered because one of the things is in any bear market sort of situation, the good get thrown out with the bad and, um, you know, people panic and they just dump it or um, often I read, for example, uh, Sometimes you get a situation where small cap funds, uh, they suffer withdrawals, that kind of thing. So they become four sellers and, and that pressures the stocks down even further. So it's a great time to go looking. Um, previous to the, the heavy selling that we're seeing at the moment, clearly lithium was the leading sector and the EV theme uh, in general behind that. That's obviously not going to go away uh in the short term, what are your views on that on the battery metals in particular and, and the related stocks there? Yeah, look, you're absolutely right. It's a story and it's a theme and a sector as a whole that's not going to go away, even if some people want it to. Um, it's certainly sort of burned pretty brightly pretty quickly, especially in the lithium sector, as most people probably know by now, and that's starting to cool off, but maybe not as much as some people thought as well. Um, but I certainly think there's going to be good opportunities in that battery metal, battery metal sector, sorry. Um, and I think especially in maybe a lot of the more overlooked materials as well. So lithium, nickel, copper, cobalt, there's sort of big ones. But then there's all these offshoots in like manganese, um, I think vanadium as well, as well as lead I've heard in some batteries, which is not as appealing maybe as some of the newer stuff. But there's all these sort of, I guess, tangents that can go down and can offer up new innovations for it. And I think that's where a lot of the exciting opportunity is in that innovation. So it's not necessarily about sticking to what works now, but finding new ways to make more economical batteries or battery developments, or even some of the ways that they produce them and some of the downstream benefits as well. So yeah, I think it's going to keep being an exciting sector. It's going to keep delivering some volatility, but Long-term, the return should be amazing as we see this transition continue. And I mean, as more countries continue to say that they're going to outlaw combustion engines by 2030, 2035, 2040, whatever it may be, like that trend is just not going away anytime soon. So it's just such a huge market that's just going to keep opening up and keep opening doors for investor opportunities. And do you still think the best way... Uh to ride along with that is through the resource sector. I mean, there are probably other ways of doing it uh, as well, because with your publication, you've got the, the coverage to go to the US and different markets, right? So you can look at not just here in Australia, we tend to be a little bit restricted towards the, the resource sector because that's what's available to us. Um, are you following the international markets as well? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, 
like you say, there's plenty of opportunity and things outside of necessarily resources like that innovation type beat where you're looking at companies that may be making new ways to produce these batteries or new technology that can make the batteries more efficient or even just sort of side projects that help bring it about more readily. Um, but I mean, I guess, yeah, for, for Australian investors in particular, the resource area is definitely the big focus and I think it will continue to be. We have seen some, I guess, attempts at trying to diversify strictly away from that resources area. I mean, Vulcan Energy is the big one that always comes to my mind, which was the big sort of superstar of last year and had that big run up with the lithium side of things. But some of their technology, I guess, has come into question at times and I'm not a huge believer in it, but it's that push for more ideas and projects like that that I think will be interesting to see as this continues to unfold. And again, it's up to investors, I guess, to pick apart the best and find the ones that work and put aside the ones that maybe won't. And that's not always easy, but if you do your work and if you do your research, you can certainly find them. I suppose just thing I just occurred to me now, because the the lift in lithium and, and battery metals and, and EV, that story dominated the small cap sector or the market for, for so long. It kind of swamped the conversation. What are some of the other uh, themes that you're following uh, outside of that uh, framework? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's so much opportunity, but there's always, I guess, one trend that stands above the rest. So even before this battery metal boom, it was obviously buy now, pay later, and we see these swings and trends that go up and down. But yeah, in terms of what I'm looking at, I mean, I obviously have a more long-term focus at the moment just because of where markets are at and where I think we're heading. So I really like stuff around Web 3.0 developments and looking at this sort of amalgamation of new technology through AR, VR, metaverse, even some blockchain stuff, even if crypto is getting smashed at the moment. Um, and then even beyond the technology, especially in like biotech, I think is really interesting. And in particular, I have a real sort of inclination to follow uh, this new development in psychedelic treatment for a lot of these new areas that are sort of following the cannabis pot stock trend that was around a couple of years ago and has sort of tapered off a bit, but is coming back a little. <laughs> And now this I'm going to pick up and say, it's a bit more than tape it off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's gone into the grave. <laughs> Especially in Australia, it's certainly crashed a lot harder than it has in America, I guess, which is where I'm sort of coming from. And like even Europe, I think in particular, is starting to pick back up on the cannabis trend a little, but it's still very early days. But yeah, this psychedelic trend in particular as well is something that's even more new and sort of even more volatile, even more risky, but it has a lot of potential as well and has a very heavy focus on the medicinal aspect rather than some of the recreational aspect that comes along with the cannabis sector. Mm. Well, I mean, I was joshing you there a bit. We did a podcast with Thomas Carroll who covers the pot stocks over mm. in the US. And I'm a believer in the cannabis story, but it just doesn't come in the conversation anymore. And the stocks here in Australia have just <laughs> gone to sleep and they just don't want to wake up. They need Sleeping Beauty to come and give them a kiss or however that story works. I forget now, but something needs to happen to, to bring them back to life. Um, there's a couple that I follow, uh, and especially over in the US, that they make money. Like a lot of them make money, but they're just the market has dropped the story. So, again, you look at that sort of opportunity where you're like, geez, the, the, the mega trend, if you like, if you want to call it that, 
is still there, but the stocks are, are really, really cheap. So yeah, I'm super I mean, keen to follow that story. I don't know that here in Australia we have the best angle into cannabis. I think the US ones are because it's legal over there in the States and they're able to build bigger businesses with um, better cash flows and that type of thing. But definitely I'm looking for the um, the comeback, if it ever comes, the cannabis comeback. The psychedelic yeah, sure. bit, I don't fully understand as much, but the idea is magic mushrooms, is that correct? Yeah. So whatever's like- in that, those things. Yeah, so magic mushrooms or psilocybin is the, I think, preferred scientific term. But, yeah, that's certainly one area, a part of it. LSD is another part, ketamine, uh, ecstasy as well. And, like, obviously there's all these connotations around the fact that these are common street drugs that people use to get high constantly Mm. and sort of had this nefarious sort of stigma attached to it for so long. But now we're starting to see all this scientific uh, investigation into their potential for mental well-being and things like depression, anxiety, PTSD, all these sort of big issues that have treatments available but aren't always as effective as we'd like and are often quite crippling for a lot of people that maybe young, old, male, female, it doesn't really matter, it can affect anyone. And so that's where it's this big sort of mental health, I don't want to call it a crisis, but it is almost a crisis where it's afflicting so many people across the world and these sort of new drugs that have been around for ages but have been demonised are starting to come into the limelight and show real potential to actually treat a lot of these issues and have some significant benefits. And obviously it's going to take time to figure out whether or not they're a cure-all, and I don't think they will be a cure-all. I think there will be some that are more effective than others and they will be very uh, delicate in terms of how you treat them, whether it be with assistance from a professional or whether it be through guided consultation, like this isn't the kind of treatment, I guess, where you're going to take a pill filled with magic mushrooms and go home and go on a magic trip and then be instantly cured. I don't think it'll be that simple. So there's going to be a lot of refinement, a lot of development, and that's where a lot of the investment opportunity comes from, in my view, because first they need the studies to figure out how effective it is. Then if they can turn it into a commercial drug or synthesize it into something that can be used in combination with other treatment. And then comes the actual practice and commercial rollout and treatment that comes with all the specialties and specialists that are needed to make it work. So, it's- so just, just to jump in there, what, what exactly is the idea? Do they extract the ingredient and put it into something else or are they literally are giving people magic mushrooms and saying, you know, what effect that it has or? Uh, it's a bit of both, actually, from what I've seen. So a lot of the early research was sort of taking the drugs themselves in isolation. So with magic mushrooms, I guess it's obviously a bit different because it is a naturally occurring mushroom. But they can yeah extract the psilocybin um, uh, <laughs> parts that actually give you the high and then try and synthesise that either into some sort of liquid or edible format and then give that to people and sort of use that test from there because obviously if you gave someone just the pure mushroom there's a lot of room for error and diagnostic sort of issues that could make the actual clinical trial sort of compromise the data and so that's where they're trying to make sure that they use a lot of these you know pure drugs I guess in that sense which is why things like LSD and ketamine which are already sort of synthesized in themselves because they are synthetic drugs is a lot easier 
to test with and investigate compared to something naturally occurring like psilocybin. But yeah, there's also um, there's a lot of I guess interesting research I would say in, into finding ways to synthesize them further and turn them into drugs that give us the medicinal benefit but without the hallucinogenic high. And I think that's where a real opportunity will come in the long term because you remove that component and there's little criticism you can have to actually using it in a medical way. Interesting. So um, I guess the, is it possible though, that those, that theme, if you like, follows cannabis a little bit. I think one of my observations of the cannabis sector is that everyone got excited about the industry, but then lost in all that was that it was still unproven. It had to go through, all these trials and, and that takes time. It can take years to get these things through. Mm. So do you think for, for now it's more of a, a trend to observe rather than uh, investing or do you think the market is going to hunt, hunt the growth prospects of this, if you like, and bid it up in the same way it did cannabis because it's very early and still coming into sort of mainstream uh, observation for want of a better word? Yeah, I certainly, um, I mean, it's certainly, could follow that direction. I feel like, I guess, cannabis had elements of that where it's, you know, following that biotech theme where it's, we've got to put in all these studies, all this money into research that takes years and doesn't obviously generate any returns or profit. And then the hope one day is, you know, you stumble across the miracle drug that ends up getting commercialized and then you make all your money back that way. And so biotech investors, I guess, will be well-versed in knowing how risky that can be in the sense that it can be up 100% in a day and it can drop 90% in a matter of days as well. So it's just all a part of that, I guess, just the market in general and how you invest in it. As for where I see it going, I mean, biotech in particular, along with a lot of other, I guess, traditional tech, has been particularly hit hard in this recent bear market. So that's certainly scaring away a lot of money and a lot of capital and a lot of liquidity. And I think that's obviously you can see that in cannabis as well to an extent, but it's certainly hitting this sort of psychedelic sector just because it's so early in its development and there is no real, there's no foundation, there's no, um, there's no history to it that people can sort of rely on and know that, well, it, it might come back and it might roar to success. But because of that, I think it's a huge opportunity in the sense that it's so unknown, it's so undiscovered, it's so undervalued and overlooked to an extent that if it does pan out, then it could just net huge returns. But it's obviously that risk and it's that risk factor that investors need to be comfortable with, they need to understand and they need to respect it if they want to invest in something as risky as this. And are these Aussie companies that you th that are involved with this, or they're over in the US or or Israel, or you know the sort of traditional researchy type countries? Yeah, so there's obviously a lot in the US, and particularly there's a lot in Canada as well, just because they're sort of, I guess, I mean they're ahead of the curve in terms of the cannabis trend, and they're kind of ahead of the curve in terms of this psychedelic trend as well. But yeah, the US has quite a few companies. Canada has quite a few companies. There are one or two in Australia, but they're not exclusively psychedelic stocks as well. So one in particular is linked with cannabis and that's sort of following the same trends. But as time goes on, I expect we'll see more companies sort of try to get on it, especially if it starts to pick up steam 
like the cannabis trend and you'll see like these bandwagon companies jump on and sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. It depends what they sort of bring to the market, if they can innovate upon it or bring new ideas, new products, new research, whatever it may be. But it'll keep growing and I think we'll see a lot more development, I guess, if it begins to gain traction. And I expect it will gain traction as more people begin to understand and realise that these sort of opportunities are quite rare and it's quite interesting and fascinating whether or not they can offer up a real health revolution, I suppose. With your publication, I know you talked recently that you might start trimming a few positions. Mm. Um, Is there sectors that you're not excited about Um, or you're not, you know, maybe they're overvalued or anything where you think maybe is not so great to go looking at the moment? Uh, Yeah, I guess you've always got to sort of pick your battles. And while I think there's always opportunity in every sector, if you can find it, there are certainly some that struggle more than others. And right now you can sort of see that, I mean, technology as a whole has been getting battered, as I've been saying, but I think that's going to open up value opportunities. But uh, I think telecommunications, in particular 5G, that story was sort of big pre-pandemic and was something that, Everyone was waiting for the next sort of iteration of telecommunications and internet speeds and faster communications. And I think that's still something that is coming, but it's just really slowed down and sort of like the cannabis story has gone out of the media a bit. And so I'm calling it a flop. I've got 5G on this phone and I don't really (laughs) see anything that exciting about it. Yeah, that's the thing is like, I guess it's reached the point where it's, sort of becoming so mainstream that it's boring now and no one cares about it because the hype's gone and the rollout, the rollout's already happening. And I think that's just something that happens with a lot of these stories. Like, Is it, um, Do you think that's similar to Canada where you're like, okay, it's here, but perhaps it's not really here. The full potential is yet to be realised, but it may yeah. not come for another two years. So you've got this lag where you're like, you're waiting around for it to, you know, for people to go, oh man, I've got to have this. Whereas yeah, if someone asked me today, I mean, I'm, I don't really find whether it's 4G or 5G, I don't see really much difference. I don't know. I don't use my phone that much, but it's like, why? I just don't. Anyway, I'm not sure. But do you think I mean, that might be the case with 5G? Uh, yeah, I think that's the thing. And I think that's a big part of how investors respond and react, I guess, to market news is just the fact that we're so like numb to something that doesn't have an immediate pop or an immediate boom that, once we don't get that immediate gratification, then people start. We're to, bored. Yeah, they get bored <laughs> and they go away from them. So what's the next thing? <laughs> yeah, and that's where that's something that um, I work closely closely with Ryan Dins, obviously, and he's a big proponent in the Gartner hype cycle. And I don't have a chart with me, but if you see it, it's just a simple elevation. One, yeah. where you've got this huge peak at the beginning where these these lofty expectations, and then again it begins to trail off as those expectations aren't met immediately just because people obviously hyperbolize and make these grand claims that never come about. And so it falls off a cliff and then it begins to steady out as it actually begins to unfold. And I think you see that in a lot of developments in a lot of areas. And that's what we're seeing with things like 5G and cannabis, where it's people don't care about it now, but as it continues to develop and actually mature as a market, it's going to start delivering real returns and real profit that, People can actually, you know, evaluate and see that this is making good money and this is a good area for return. One of the features, this is just me talking, one of the features of the last 12 months is any stock that doesn't have revenue has found it really difficult um, 
they just the market support just isn't there like it was previously, and that's been going on for. I remember saying to Greg Canavan, our colleague, you know, about six months ago, I'm just like, any stock that doesn't have revenue, it just keeps, it just doesn't lift. Um, so that'll change, I think. Mm. Um, but the macro overlay on the market is just bearish and you know, caught up with, as you were alluding to earlier, interest rates and inflation and the Ukraine war, which on the whole really have nothing to do with a sector like cannabis. Like it will just keep doing its thing uh, in the background there. So one day, yeah, we'll, the shift will come and then the, the sentiment and the momentum will come back to into those kind of biotech tech stories where the market starts focusing on growth again and, and all that type of thing and, and where that might be. And, Exactly. Uh, and that's why I think we're, I guess, pushing that people need to sort of realise that and understand that this is a cycle. It happens. It comes about every now and then. Like it's just part of how markets work. And that's where the best money that you can make often as an investor is setting yourself up for these cycles before they come. Now, that doesn't mean buying the dip or that sort of stuff. You've got to understand that there are still risks. You don't really want to try and time the market unless you have a really good understanding or a good solid trading methodology. So you just need to be aware that these sort of things do turn over time and there will be these opportunities. And like you say, people are worried about these like big macro issues now that don't necessarily affect these small cap stocks. And once the tide begins to turn, we'll, we'll see them probably go up, you know, double digit, triple digit returns in weeks, months, years, whatever well, it might be. I mean, just talking about lithium earlier, I remember in 2018 we had a similar situation where the Fed was raising rates. It, hmm. The market tanked 20%. At that stage, lithium was in a horrible bear market and the, all the stocks had, you know, were collapsing down to uh, cents on the dollar. Uh, here we are uh, later, uh, you know, four years later, and they're up thousands of percent, uh, even with the recent sell-down. Um, so now's the time to be going over and going, well, if things do improve, well, this is my thoughts anyway, things do improve, well, you know, what, of the cannabis stocks, which one would I want to own? Or back in 2008, if I, which lithium stock has the best project? So if it comes back, you know, I know the one to to jump on. Uh, I've got a book. I, did I have? No, I don't have it with me. But um, the gentleman writes a book about managing market risk, and he talks about in a bear market, you know, that's because it's uh, because it grinds you down. As you say, we're like for, for a year now, we've been mostly watching. The stock market go down. Uh, <laughs> most stocks go down, and, and ignore it. Easy. And so, in the end, you just get fed up with it. And so, it's only natural that people go, "Oh, you know what? Well, I can't be bothered with all this anymore." Mm. Um, but it's at this point when uh, you should be getting the most interested because it's uh, it's setting the stage for the next bull run. So, um, what we don't know yet is which sector is going to lead us out of this bear market. I don't. I'm positive on lithium and battery metals. I don't know if the market's going to make it so easy that the, the, the one that just boomed is going to boom again for us. So um, I think it'll be, it might be one of those, it might be related on the same thing as you were talking about, but it could be one of those more obscure metals or or inputs or, or some other way. So, uh, but you can only try and nut it out if you're following the market, right? Exactly. And yeah, I mean, I suppose... Yeah, it's pretty, oh, I don't know if it's rare, I suppose, that the previous boom is the one that isn't going to boom again. Uh, depends on, like you say, the, the narrative, the direction, the trend of it. I mean, like going back to that buy now, pay later example, I suppose, like I think people have 
oversold it a little and they're sort of down in the doldrums about it and for good reason. I mean, a lot of those companies didn't make money. A lot of them were sort of piggybacking off of the success of Afterpay, which was obviously the big story and the big leader, which is now part of Block. Um, but I think there's still like, there's a good trend, there's a good theme and there's a good narrative around there that is something that, like the battery metals, isn't really going to go away. And I think the advantage that the battery metals have probably over something like buy now, pay later, is a lot of them have these physical deposits and mines and resources that, you know, as long as the prices stay strong or as long as they stay relevant even, then, I mean, it's something that is worth holding on to. And investors can see that tangible value there in those materials. And it's just about whether or not the demand comes or doesn't. And I think it's pretty clear from what we're seeing that that demand isn't going away. And while it may, you know, dip now and then, it's still going to be a huge part of the story for years to come. Well, that's the thing with resources, isn't it? They just don't. They just, they just don't go away. They're volatile. That's the that's yeah. the way it works. So you got to strap in for a, a bit of a roller coaster whenever you sign up for it. But yeah, is if anyone. Like- Stuck I think a lot of people forest from you know Fortescue when it was five cents yeah. and it goes all the way to twenty six over twenty years or whatever. Well, and uh, that's the thing is we're seeing sort of this shift as well from a lot of the more traditional resource companies like you know your BHP, your Rio Tinto, all these iron ore miners, even the petroleum companies. Like even they're starting to realize this shift to a sort of greener technologies and whether that be battery metals, whether that be hydrogen, like. It's just this huge energy story is obviously a big part of 2022 as a whole because of the circumstances that are affecting the macro environment. And I think as we're seeing more of these bigger names shift towards it, that's sort of going to be a telltale sign that you know, retail investors should take notice and start to realise that this is a legitimate trend and it isn't going away. And that doesn't necessarily mean that fossil fuels are going away either. Like it's all part of it. I was just thinking... In terms of um, you know bull runs and bear runs, do you have any thoughts on the crypto market? Obviously, it's been getting absolutely hammered, but it's still, I think it's fair to say, within your wheelhouse of the of what you're covering. And at least when you talk about say buy now pay later, it's like a broader fintech kind of thing, which yeah. crypto is in the slipstream of. So tell us your thoughts on just to sum up today's podcast. Well, not to sum it up, but to to conclude today's podcast, hmm. maybe t- do you want to touch on your thoughts on crypto and, and where it's at at the moment? Yeah, I guess. Um, so I'm not uh, like a huge expert on crypto, like I suppose Ryan Dins is, but I've certainly followed it. And I mean, I was first really introduced to it by Sam Volkering, who was really onto it before a lot of people and a lot of our editors. I know he pushed for years to try and get the word out about this sort of thing because he understood how impactful it could be and once you start to sort of uh, read more into it and try and wrap your head around it which isn't easy um, you can sort of start to see where he's coming from and where that opportunity I guess lies and so recently obviously a lot of the heat's come out of the market because we've had these crashes in stable coins and I myself am not the biggest fan of stable coins but I understand that they have an important use and they're sort of trying to offer up uh, some some legitimacy, I suppose, and some stability, as in the name suggests, to the crypto market. And I think they'll, they'll stick around and they'll be a big part of it. 
but I don't think they're the future of crypto, I suppose. And I think they've kind of they haven't held crypto back, but they've certainly been a detriment in this short-term crash that people are sort of focusing too much on, I suppose. So Bitcoin, I don't think is going to die. Ethereum, I don't think is going to die. These big projects that have been around for so long. And while they may, you know, endure another long-term crypto winter, as they call them, which is effectively a bear market for crypto. We saw that happen after the last 2017 boom. Like it might be a couple of years before crypto gets back to its all-time high of 60K US or whatever it was. So, I mean, it comes and goes in cycles as well, but I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. And I think people are going to... You're going to be pretty excited, I guess, about what it might bring in the next few years, because I think we're going to see some real challenges, I guess, in how, in well, in a lot of what we're seeing in markets at the moment with the monetary policy and the macro environment. And I think crypto can address a lot of those problems, address things like inflation potentially. It's just going to depend on whether or not it gets the adoption that it needs to scale, and that's the big question mark I have at the moment. But I think it is still an interesting area, and I think it is something that investors, whether you like it or not, whether you want to be invested or not, you should pay attention to it just because it is something outside of that Wall Street sort of centralized market that gives gives people an exciting, I think, a reason to be excited, I guess, is what I'd conclude with. Yeah, I don't think it's going away either. And so, again, it's just become another market that you follow. And as you say, it's going through a... A bear phase, but the profit potential previous to that was like just huge. Like it was amazing. Mm. Um, so that'll be interesting to follow as well. All right, cool. Well, we've had a good chat. And so um, we'll put a link in um, underneath this to uh, your service, which is Exponential Stock Investor. And maybe we can catch up again in six months and we'll see if the outlook for crypto and small caps is looking a bit, little bit better. And, and I suspect it will be. Yeah, I suspect so too. Thank you very much for having me on. Pleasure.